In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. So Salt Lake City is done. We have finally finished the reunion. The season of Genshaw being arrested is done. It was a three-part reunion, and that is what we are going to talk about today. What were your thoughts on the reunion? Did you like it? There are things I liked about it. I actually really appreciated Meredith, her ability to be vulnerable and cry while at the same time making a case and defending herself uh, without even seeming too defensive or seeming like she was attacking it. it, I I thought that was actually masterful and I appreciated her use of her uh, legal training in presenting her case. But she's not a lawyer, right? She's not a lawyer. I don't know. You know what? We need to find out because I don't know I know she went to law school. I'm assuming she took the bar exam. I don't think she's barred. Oh, okay. I mean, she could have an active license. Like my two of my state licenses are inactive so that I still have them and I can renew them whenever I need them. But right now I only need the one I'm in. So yeah, I don't think she's barred. But yeah, she did do a really good job defending herself and making her case. But overall, I just thought the reunion was too long. There were really exciting parts of the show that I think could have been focused on more. I don't know. It it just felt like a lot of filler. And then the good stuff wasn't really touched on that much. So, I mean, giving credit to production, they had a lot of last minute things. I mean, so Mary didn't show up and they don't think they it didn't seem like they knew about that until right before. And then the stuff with Jenny, and I'm assuming they tried to minimize her appearance whenever they could since she's, you know, was fired. Yeah. Okay, so what we are going to do is go through everything that Jen and Coach said 
throughout the reunion and give our thoughts on it, either our personal opinions or what we've read in the pleadings out there. And we're going to start with Sharif. So Andy asks him, what was going through your head when you found out about the arrest or like, where were you? How did you find out? And he answers that he was with an assistant dealing with personal health issues. His assistant called Jen. 25 minutes later, he received a call from Homeland Security. He made his way home and found them in his house with guns, some pointed at his baby. Jen says the call that she got was a real call. And in the call, she says, I need to go to the house. Okay. That's it. Um, they played like the clip of her on the mm-hmm. phone. And she says, I need to go to the house. Okay. And then later she says she needs to go to the doctor. That was in the clip that we all saw on the show. At the reunion, she says he doesn't go to the doctor. So it was a big deal. He was there. He has had rectal bleeding. It was bleeding so much. Doctor thought it was important. Gastrointernal bleeding. These are my notes. She said she wanted to figure out if it was okay. She had not been tipped off because she said, had I been tipped off, I wouldn't have waited around. And Heather confirms that she was there for a while. So the story as I see it is Sharif goes to the doctor. Jen had been pleading with him to go to the doctor because he doesn't often go. He goes, finds out he has some gastrointestinal issue, has his assistant call Jen. Jen picks up and is like, oh, my God, he's having internal bleeding. I need to go to him. That is the story that they've put out there Mm -hmm. based on the reunion, but not necessarily based on what we saw on the show. Right. So let's stop there. What do you think of this? You know, I had to say, like, I've been a a Coach Shaw apologizer. I've been, you know, defending the fact that I didn't think he knew what she was doing. But his appearance and demeanor at the reunion really kind of made me question that a bit. I, I felt like he was much more calculating and he seemed to be all in with her. I agree. And the story doesn't make sense, but we will get to what she said in her she, she has a declaration that we've read from before, and we'll get to that in a bit. So she says she leaves to go immediately to the hospital, even though on the show we see her say, I have to go home. OK. She says she was on the road 20 minutes before she was stopped by the officers. She says they did not read her her Miranda rights. This is at the reunion. She's saying that or mm-hmm. says say she was arrested when she was pulled over. They said, I just want to talk to you and bring you in. Come with us and we'll explain it. Andy asks, So they took you into a court building, right? Into a courtroom. She says, yes. She says they said she needed to see the judge. They said I was under arrest. And I said, for what? An attorney came in and said there had been an indictment. And then she found out about the charges. I think she's conflating two different things here. Or maybe it got lost in editing. Or maybe she's just confused. What what did you think here? I, with this, like the very articulate statements that her attorney made in the pretrial motion about her not understanding that she was actually under arrest, I, I was shocked that she made any statements at all about it. Because I certainly, I mean, that's just... <laughs> if you're telling your attorney, I didn't I didn't know these things. I didn't understand I was under arrest. I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand why. But then you say, oh, yeah, they told me I was under arrest on TV. What are you doing? Like, you know, well, she says that they didn't tell her she was under arrest. They just took her into a courtroom. But that's not right. You don't get arrested. And then you like that's not what she put in her declaration. She didn't get arrested, then go straight before the judge. They were on separate days. 
Right. I think she's conflating that arraignment hearing with her arrest. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me, too. It sounded like because you don't go right in. Mm-hmm. No, you, yeah, they talked to her for quite some time, which is what the whole they were trying to exclude all of those statements that she made. So they talked to her for quite some time. And then while she was handcuffed to the chair and she's having the stuff with her contact lens solution and then... Which we'll read. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to read from that again. We did go over it in our pretrial episode. Pretrial episode? Pretrial motion episode. So we'll read from that again. But yeah, I think she's conflating the two because she was actually arrested March 30th. And then her arraignment hearing was the next day on March 31st, 2021. So it's not like she got slapped on handcuffs and then thrown in front of the judge. That's not what happened. So I was just like, "Mm, I don't think that's right. Do you want to read her statement that she put in her declaration about what she says happened the day of the arrest? Yes. Events of March 30, 2021. On March 30, 2021, I was arrested in Salt Lake City, Utah, while on the road, on my way to recording an episode of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City for the Bravo Network. Shortly before I was stopped, an unknown person called me and said that my husband had told this unknown person to call me. The unknown caller told me to head home. I immediately tried calling my husband, but he did not pick up even after I called more than once. I began to worry for him. Let's pause right here. So at the reunion, she said it was the assistant that called her and said she had to go to the hospital. That's not true, according to this declaration. Let's continue. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, she said unknown person. So maybe it was the assistant she didn't know. I mean... But giving her the benefit of the doubt. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But she also said that they told her to go to the hospital. And this says that the person told her to head home. And that aligns with what we actually saw on the show. Yes. Okay. Soon after, I I received another phone call, this time from a 917 number. The caller explained that his name was Detective Christopher Bastos and that he was with the New York Police Department. I was confused why an NYPD detective would be calling me as I was in Utah at the time. My first thought and apprehension was that the call must be related to my order of protection against individual one. I was therefore eager to know the reason for the call. Detective Bastos did not tell me why he was calling, but instead told me to pull over and minutes later, he pulled up in a car with other agents. I was walked to the back of the car, placed in handcuffs and told that they had a warrant for my arrest. I was at this point very confused and emotionally off balance from the strange series of events, and I thought I might have been the victim of a false identification. I repeatedly asked Detective Bastos clarification questions, including, am I under arrest and am I going to jail, which were phrases I used interchangeably and thought of as the same thing. Detective Bastos never answered either question, but repeatedly said words to the effect of, we just want to talk to you and I promise we just want to talk to you. He also told me more than once, we just want to make sure you're okay. Detective Bastos statements led me to believe I might be in danger and that the police might be there to help me. I was still confused. However, because I had been placed in handcuffs, I was at this point consumed with the desire to know why I had been placed in handcuffs and apparently arrested. While I did not know at this time, I later learned that Detective Bastos was well acquainted with Individual One as Detective Bastos and I discussed Individual One and his brother during my interrogation. Detective Bastos drove me to ICE headquarters and brought me to a break room with a circular table and three chairs. That's a lot of detail. Detective Bastos and an uh, HSI agent handcuffed me to one of the chairs and then joined me at the table. Detective Bastos read me Miranda warnings from printed paper. He also handed me a copy to sign as I read along. Okay. I think we can stop there. 
But I just wanted to reread that because it is so different than the story that they said at the reunion. She was read her Miranda rights. <laughs> she acknowledges it here. And she was told that she was under arrest. So just pointing it out there that her statements have kind of contradicted themselves and, and based on what we saw in the show. So I do think she was tipped off by someone in her family. Yeah, I do too. I do think she was told to go home because Homeland Security was there for her. And I do think she was told she was under arrest and placed in handcuffs and questioned, even though I know she was probably feeling, like we've mentioned before in prior episodes, like scared and was talking a lot and, and they were using their interrogation tactics on her. I don't think she was told why she was under arrest. No. Yeah, no. I don't think she was told why. I mean, because they wanted to see what she was going to say and see if she'd volunteer information. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think they admitted to that, too, in their own motions that they didn't yeah. tell her why. I mean, if if the police pick you up and put you in handcuffs, you are under arrest. There's, there's <laughs> You're not free to leave. <laughs> if they have not detained you, ask, am I being detained? And then if they say yes, say, I want to speak to a lawyer. This is not legal advice. This is just general common sense. Common sense. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so next they get on to how it was watching the other women's comments about Jen's arrest on the show. Coach said it really hurt and that Jen didn't want to watch it. She expected it, but not to the extent and especially not from Lisa. She said she was hurt by Whitney speculating about what Jen did. But like Whitney said, and like we've done, she was just explaining what the scheme was. I mean, there was an indictment. There have been a lot. There's been a lot put out by the government. There was that press release on the day of the arrest. Mm-hmm. And to Whitney's credit, I really do think she was just explaining for everyone in the car what that scheme was and actually reading off of the indictment. I don't think she was like, oh, duh, this is what Jen does. You know, what did you think? I mean, I don't <laughs> if you are on a show and you are filmed with the Homeland Security walking up to you. I don't think they're like, how can you fault somebody for being like, oh, I wonder if this is what happened or there is nothing wrong. And it's absolutely human. And for Jen Shaw to be mad that they were doing that, that's not I don't think that's reasonable. <laughs> it's just twisting to become a victim again. Yeah, I think she's done that throughout the course of the show. Just twisting the narrative to become the victim but also like if this happened to a friend of mine that I was really close with I would probably also be like oh but I did see that one time that they stole something from a store you know you start to think of everything that could fit the arrest like 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 yeah, the, yeah. the private investigator thing that Meredith brought up or the unknown caller thing or the uber thing you know how they were all doing in um yeah. Zion or where were they that wasn't Zion that was the other trip. Vail. Vail. Thank you. Do you remember Vail or Jail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a totally normal reaction. It sucks to be on the receiving end. But yeah, I would be like, oh, yeah, I did see them hunched over a laptop calling elderly people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> did you want to read the indictment again just to refresh everyone's memory? So people see what they read. This is what came out on the day of Jen's arrest, along with the press release. But... This is what they were reading and trying to piece together. And so I see nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Paragraph one of the indictment, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, overview of the scheme, 
from at least in or about 2012 until at least in or about March 2021 in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere, Jennifer Shaw and Stuart Smith, the defendants, together with others known and unknown collectively participants, carried out a wide-ranging telemarketing scheme that defrauded hundreds of victims throughout the United States, many of whom were over age 55, by selling those victims so-called business services in connection with the victims' purported online businesses that, in quotes, business opportunity scheme. I mean, yeah, you start reading this, you're like, wow, okay, yeah, I never, I never really understood what she did. It never made sense to me. I was confused. Why did she, you know, Mm -hmm. you and I are smart people. And we heard her talk about what she did. And it didn't make (laughs) just like saying word. it was like, it's like alphabet soup. It was just words. Yeah, I was gonna get to that. Because at the reunion, she the Andy asked her, So what do you do? And let me see. She says data monetization. And he's like, well, what is that? And she's like, well, it's monetizing data. (laughs) It's like, okay, that does not explain anything. But thank you. Did you want me to read more from the indictment? Oh, no, I think that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that is enough. Reading that, if I was on a car ride, a five-hour car ride to Vail, and I knew something about it, I would be explaining it to my friends, too. I'd be like, this is what it is. Yeah. So and then Andy stuck up for Whitney, too, and was like, but Jen, you're being charged for fraud and money laundering. (laughs) It's like, yeah, come on. Okay. the next thing that came up is why is coach not getting the same grief as Erica? Like Andy literally read the question to coach and was like, or Sharif, I'm calling him coach, but Sharif and was like, Megan from Idaho wants to know why you're not getting the same grief as Erica, which is a really weird question to ask the guy who's not getting the same grief as Erica. What is he going to be like? Analyze Erica against himself. So he doesn't really answer the question, which, duh, he's not going to answer that. But he instead answers that he never questioned where the money came from. Jen's money says that she worked for over 20 years and things in her closet that we see have been amassed over the years. It's not just like she's been buying this stuff recently. And then he said he's not worried that he's implicated. He's worked his whole life too. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I do. I think it's not it's not any way fair to compare the two things. Coach Shaw immediately was shown on TV saying we need to downsize. We need to take this seriously. We can't continue to live in the manner that we're living. They immediately began presenting Jen in a way that would hopefully help her appearance. It's showing her participating in religious ceremonies, showing her doing charity work with her mother, talking about how that it's, you know, that it's difficult and whatnot. I mean, they immediately started changing the way she sort of presented herself. And then whenever you see Coach Shaw, like Coach Shaw, there's no videos of him rolling around in money saying it's expensive to be me. There's no... You don't see him really behaving in an irrational way. And they, they both appear to be treating the viewers like they're smart. And I don't, Erica was just, I feel like she really was treating everybody like they're stupid for even thinking something. So I think there's been a different level of respect given to the viewers from Coach Shaw as opposed to Erica Jane. Yeah. And Coach as well has not turned himself into a victim of any of this. No. He is kind of being silent. And I'll just say, like, Jen's not behaving perfectly. You know, she's still out there partying and, like, that video the other day that got released and 
buying expensive things, but it's just not, it's not the same. I think an example of it being the same or something that would make it the same is if Coach was like, F the government on his Instagram or something. Yeah. Or like, yeah. how dare they come after my woman? Something like that. And he's not really doing that. So I don't think it is a fair comparison. And like I said, I think it's really weird that they asked Coach his thoughts on that. Okay, so the next thing Andy asks Coach is if he ever had any conversation with Jen, doubting her and asking her if anything improper was going on with her business. And he said, no, 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 no. He looked at her and said, this is going to be tough. And whatever it is, we will deal with it. And then he says his wife has done a few things, beauty and fashion. But before that, he can't elaborate on because it it has to do with her case. But he does understand what she does. Do you want to add anything to that? That, I mean, I was kind of surprised that he said that because that kind of made me think, is he going to take the stand in her defense, perhaps? Because... I kind of felt like when they showed him on the show in season one that he never kind of really acted like he knew what she did. And he was like, oh, yeah, she wants me to go on these trips with her work. I don't even you know, it seemed like he was kind of like, I don't even really understand what she does. And so for him to say now, I did understand what she did and to act like he was very clear about it. It makes me think that he's probably going to try to take the stand in her defense to say, you know, I I understood what she did. I'm a lawyer. I my wife had no idea that this was there was there was any fraud going on. She believed she was acting legally. She, you know, never agreed to participate in any fraud with any co-conspirator because she didn't know any fraud was going on. She thought these were real business opportunities or whatever. It is odd because back when we got the question as to whether or not he knew we're like, no, because he doesn't know what's going on with her. And right. Like, he's busy all the time. Yeah, he's busy all the time. He's not involved in the nitty gritty. And now for him to say that he did know, it's like, oh. Oh, yeah. So you so, did know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Or do understand. I guess knowledge is different than understanding. But yeah. Okay. So here I wanted to take a break on this because since we recorded our pretrial motion episode, you read like the transcript of mm-hmm. the proceedings and you you kind of thought that it was a little bit more close of a closer call. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So just to give context into what we're talking about, we talked about these motions in our pretrial motion episode. So go back and listen to that one. And all of Jen Shaw's pretrial motions were just denied. This was a while ago. This isn't new filings. But I just wanted to bring this up now in the context of Coach Shaw knowing or understanding what the business was to point out that, you know, she's still not guilty and raise some of the the um, arguments that her defense counsel is raising and highlight Angela's perspective that it was a closer call when they were arguing and that it was being really litigated heavily and, and she was really being defended with some creative arguments. So even though he understood how it functioned. And even though he might have understood Jen's business, that doesn't necessarily mean that he knew that there was anything illegal going on. And she's been maintaining her innocence this whole time. So I just wanted to pause and talk about that here. Yeah, it was Alonzo, who is a very well-respected, very good criminal defense attorney. And he'd worked as a prosecutor on behalf of the government or, you know, an AUA. But I thought, and maybe because I have some familiarity with criminal proceedings and defense work, it's you don't normally get to hear motions argued like this. It's usually, you know, what can you proffer to immediately get your client in a position of taking the most beneficial plea they can get? And so what the herd of criminal defense attorneys doing is like very difficult 
And it takes a lot to make some of these arguments. So I, I think I came at it from maybe a little bit of a different context. So, yeah, I'm looking at just uh, page 13. And this is when they were asking for the bill of particulars, which is like, you know, a more detailed, basically, list of exactly what she is being charged with and the, some of the facts supporting it. And so he said, moving on to the bill of particulars motion, Your Honor, as I said, it is related and it's basically related because defending this case has been and will continue to be like boxing with ghosts. So the government has alleged a nine-year conspiracy to commit wire fraud with some unspecified number of co-conspirators with unnamed, you know, sales floors and with victims that we don't know who they are. So when I say boxing with ghosts, I really mean it. And I mean, I think people generally kind of know when you get indicted with a federal crime, the federal conviction rate is super high. Federal criminal jury trials are not, they don't happen that frequently. So to see just like a really vigorous defense was really interesting to me. And then he he argues that the Katabshi case that we've talked about before has nothing to do with it. He said it may be a similar theory, but that's not a roadmap to what our trial is. It's a completely different matter with different players. And he's like, so what's crucial here is to be able to know what it is that we have to defeat, right? So in science, you need a falsifiable proposition. That's something that can be attacked, right? The same as in law. So what they're saying what they're saying is that literally thousands and thousands of names in discovery materials, I don't know which ones apply to Ms. Shaw. I don't know which ones they're saying were victimized. I don't know which ones they're saying were intended to be victimized. So we could fairly easily pick out 100 of them, do a great job in front of the jury, and show that those people were not defrauded at all, or certainly that Ms. Shaw knew nothing about it. But what does she know about what the sales floors are saying? We could show all that, and then they could come and say, no, 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 there's these other 100 people we're alleging. So I think that gives us a little bit of context as to like, you know, they're they're going to say that Jen Shaw did not know what some of these sales floors were saying. She wasn't involved with it. She wasn't a participant in that area area of the conspiracy. And he he points out, and by the way, more than a hundred sales floors are listed there. Which ones are we supposed to defend against? And the court says listed where? And he says listed within discovery. And the court's like in discovery and co-conspirators. And so they go on and they argue about that. I just thought that some of this was actually quite a bit. When you just read the order and it says denied and you don't have the context for some of the arguments, that's one thing. And again, the government responded and said, we're giving them all of this. We don't need a bill. They don't need a bill of particulars. That was fine. We are producing this stuff in discovery. We're still months out from trial. We are we are continually providing them with information. So it wasn't that the court was like, oh, no, the government doesn't have to do it. The government said, no, we are giving them information. It's just they want additional detail that we don't have to provide. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So the next category of things that Andy goes into is why is everyone questioning things? And or no, he doesn't say that. I'm sorry. Jen says, I want to know why everyone is questioning things. I want to add, I don't understand why it's so groundbreaking that Jen, the brown girl and her black husband, how did they get all this money? Oh, my gosh, it must be something illegal. Why is that the first place that this goes? Jen, coach has three degrees, attorneys for years and years. He was an agent. He's not a little league coach. And I wanted to respond to this one because in the documentary that we did, I think they used a soundbite of me saying, like, where is all the money? Like, it didn't add up. And I never said that as like an attack on Jen and her finances and, you know, to be like, wow, none of this makes sense be- with with without the context of the indictment. In the context of the indictment and in the context of the press release that came out when she was arrested, they make the claim that she is living a lavish lifestyle and funding it with this scheme. So in that context, then you go, wait, where are they getting their money from? Like, is it actually coming from this scheme? Specifically in the press release, and I just want to read this sentence or these few sentences from the special agent in charge from Homeland Security he said Sean Smith flaunted their lavish lifestyle to the public as a symbol of their success. In, re- in reality, they allegedly built their opulent lifestyle at the expense of vulnerable, often elderly working class people. As alleged, disturbingly, Sean Smith objectified their very real human victims as leads to be bought and sold, offering their personal information for sale to other members of their fraud ring. So with that contents, where they said that they flaunt their lavish lifestyle and built it at the expense of elderly working people, that's when you start to go, wait, maybe it doesn't add up. What were your thoughts on this? You know, I I feel like any time on any Bravo show, when we see somebody throwing a super lavish party, I mean, in season one, when she threw that party for Meredith, that $80,000 party, I think anybody would be like, where does the money come from? It doesn't matter what color they are. I, I just, 
could be the whitest white person ever. And I'd be like, they spent 80 grand on a party. And I, and then when she explains her job, I don't understand what it means. You know, it's going to, it looks, it seems off. Like that's, that's very lavish spending. I also want to know how they made it so I can make it. (laughs) Yeah. That's the other thing. It's like, first of all, who's getting paid that much? And then if it's legit, how do I get paid that much? (laughs) Yeah. Or like, I want to look it up. I want to see, tell me what you're investing in. Like, right. Show me the way. That's not necessarily why we're, you know, we're not looking it up because of their race. But also in the context of the indictment of someone being indicted and alleged to be making their money through illegal means, you're going to be like, wait, okay, maybe this is how. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like anybody brought it up until she got indicted. Mm -mm. I don't don't remember anybody in the show being like, well, I don't understand where she gets her money from. I, I feel like it came up when she got indicted and then arrested and <laughs> yeah i remember yeah. being like heck yeah she's wealthy that's great but onward okay so the next thing they talk about is her and stewart andy asks jen have you guys spoken since the arrest she says no and that is a good answer because she was a condition of her release was she can't talk to Stu. yeah so good. (laughs) She said that they did not work together in the businesses that were being discussed, that he was doing his own stuff. I thought that was interesting the way she said that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it just it just contradicts everything that she had on the show. I and I, we all thought it was kind of weird. Like, why is her assistant so involved? Like, it's season one before she's been accused of anything. It's like, why does she have her assistant with her everywhere? And then we're like, well, maybe it's because Coach Shaw doesn't want to you know doesn't like can't he's out doing his college football coach stuff so he can't be around so maybe she just uses him as a crutch but then like they were together constantly and she was always saying like this is this is my right hand man this is serious like why say that if it wasn't true mm-hmm. yeah I mean I, I thought it was weird that she said that they weren't together in the businesses that were being discussed as in they were involved in other businesses, not necessarily the ones that are like in the indictment or coming up in discovery. I thought that mm-hmm. was just a really weird way to f- say it. Oh, so they, they both supposedly did the same thing. Yeah. But they didn't have they weren't in the same businesses. Well, then it's like, did you have just have your own shell companies to keep the money in? <laughs> yeah, it was like a really she yeah. used very specific words here. And it was like, oh, OK. She also says and this is I thought this was bad. She said, as I expanded my businesses, I brought him into that. Okay, so you weren't together in the same businesses, but he was in your businesses. She said, as I expanded my businesses, I brought him into that. If I was going to be successful, I wanted to bring everyone in that helped me get there. So now she's saying that she did bring him into his her businesses. And I I don't know. I thought that was like a, an awful thing for her to say. Did you feel the same way? Well, I kind of thought when I saw that you know coach was like you know my wife she's in the fashion and beauty industry and i remember her specifically asking if she could keep doing her online lash sales or whatever and i don't know what her fashion business stuff was i have no idea but i kind of thought she was trying to say oh yeah i had stewart doing those businesses because ostensibly those were legit and i was bringing him into that to kind of explain where they're to get that's kind of like the connection i made in my own head there i don't have any evidence of that that's just me thinking. Okay. When I heard her say this, it brought me back to that our last episode on the sentencing that we just put out Mm -hmm. about the Ryan Holt guy bringing in the other co-defendant into his business, forcing him into the business. And that's it raised that flag for me. The guy that was in AA. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, 
so you're admitting that you brought him into business. Like, mm. this is not good. No. <laughs> I would use this if I was prosecuting the case. <laughs> and then Andy asks, or he says, did you know, like, he pleaded guilty? Can you comment on that? And she says she wishes she could respond to him changing his guilty plea, but can't comment on it. Thoughts? I mean, I thought that was smart. Yeah, I mean, the smartest thing she could say is nothing at all about that. There's <laughs> yeah. nothing, there's no good that can come from it. Like, I mean, we yeah. watched her tell everyone on TV, oh, Stu's my best friend to who's my right hand man who's done everything with me to I don't really know that guy. <laughs> I know. I know that clip of them walking together. <laughs> OK, and then we haven't actually talked about this on the episode. We, we put it on our Instagram, but Stu's guilty plea. Mm-hmm. He did plead guilty. And I just wanted to quickly read what he said. And I want to raise this because I think Stuart, well, yeah, Stuart explains what the scheme was and what was going on. And it's like, if they were actually working together, it just doesn't look good for Jen. So, Right. In his very first, which we'll, you know, we'll read where he's during his guilty plea, this is him admitting to the conspiracy. So we talked about conspiracy charge on when I think one of our first Jen Shaw episodes explaining what that was. And it's so what he's admitting to in the very beginning is to the conspiracy specifically. All right. So he says, I knowingly and intentionally discussed and engaged with other individuals to develop a plan or operation to obtain money by false representations by offering and inducing individuals, many whom were over 50 years of age or older, to provide money to entities that I and others were involved with. I mean, even just that, it's like. Yeah. So like. Again, he's saying, I intentionally discuss and engage with other individuals to develop a plan or operation to obtain money by false representations. Like in that, he's not, he is admitting to the conspiracy there. He's not admitting to, I personally made calls and induced individuals to, you know, buy these fake business opportunities. So in 2008, I became involved with a Utah company called Thrive. That was my first exposure to telemarketing. From 2008 to 2021, I was involved in several telemarketing companies Guidance, Learning Systems, Red Steel, and Mastery Pro Group. So those are the ones he was involved in. Maybe they're different than the ones that are being talked here, like Jen said. But no, these are these are the businesses that are the subject of the indictment. So yeah, that's just Mastery a contradiction. Pro. Yeah, yeah, guidance. Yeah, he's literally admitting to being involved with these, and mm-hmm. she at the reunion was like, "No, he's not involved in these." So, oops. Mm. <laughs> the services sold were of no value and no real benefit to the customer. These services were sold through telephone, were received and processed through various call centers and ultimately paid to these entities. Okay, so he's admitting to the, he's admitting, so he says the services sold were of no value and no real benefit to the customer. That's admitting the fraud part. And then, so I think the Mastery Pro Group stuff is going to be important because this is, I think, the big one with, I think, is it Ryan Halder and Cameron Brewster and Jen Shaw, I think might all be involved with that one. But again, and so he's also, they're also making him in the plea admit to it being in different states and then over the telephone. So again, that's like using the wire fraud. Wire and, fraud. Yeah, yeah. All of that stuff. And that there were many were over the age of 50. So mm-hmm. it's like they're going through the indictment or he's... They're having him go through each thing that they said in the indictment and essentially confirming it, but not good. 
Yeah, he also admits to the, you know, he essentially admits to the money laundering proceeds from this bank were distributed to myself and others. Other times these transactions were done as cash transactions and were done that way to avoid knowledge as to whom the actual recipient of the money was. And then they say, again, cash transactions, he says, were done at the request of others to avoid currency transaction reporting requirements, which if you've seen our video on YouTube explaining money laundering, you know what that is. And then he admits that he did not testify honestly at the FTC deposition that we've discussed. Right, right. Yeah, that FTC investigation on one of the the entities, if you don't remember. Okay, we already talked about what she said she does because Andy asked. (laughs) Data monetization. Yeah. And that she does not do lead generation. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then this part was funny. Andy was like, "You, Lisa, you called all seven of your attorneys to get more information. And Lisa said, yeah, I wanted to see if there was anything on the docket, which is really smart. I mean, we did the same when Jen was arrested. I was like, what is on the docket where all the filings are? What else is on there? <laughs> and then she was like, you know what the docket is. I've explained it to you. And Jen, what are you even talking about? Docket, bitch. So there's a lot of <laughs> docket thrown around. <laughs> the docket. That was my favorite part. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's like, that's right. It absolutely is all on the docket. Check out our Instagram. Bravo docket website. <laughs> okay. And then Andy asks all the women, do any of you believe she's guilty? And of course, no one in their right mind is going to raise their hand in front of Jen Shaw. They're not going to raise her hand. We saw how she was on the bus with Lisa. Like, it just, why would you, I don't know. That just seems like, to me, it seems like bad manners <laughs> to raise your hand. <laughs> well, I mean, and you already it, know how yeah. volatile she is. So I I firmly believe you are innocent until proven guilty. We haven't seen all the facts. We haven't yeah. seen the proof that the government specifically has against her. We haven't heard what the testimony is going to be and we don't know the extent of her defense. So I I would have answered something like that. I, mean, I think that's a really good answer. But yeah, no one's going to be like, yes. Yes, she's guilty. I think she's guilty. (laughs) And then this part was the most shocking to me. Andy is like, you know, you're like you're being faced. You're facing X number of years and X number of years. And he was like, how do you feel about that? And she says her attorneys don't talk to her about it like that. They don't tell her the number of years or anything. It's like, what? Well, first of all, the words my attorney doesn't or does does or does not say something Unless it's, you know, my attorney told me not to speak on that or my attorney and I have had confidential, like the words my attorney says should almost never come out of your mouth unless you're saying my attorney says, don't say this, like said, I can't speak on this matter. Or my attorney says to refer you to, you know, whatever. Don't be talking about, don't be waving privilege talking about, I'm not saying she did, but I'm just saying don't, just don't do that. Again, not legal advice is just common sense. (laughs) Yeah. And then on her innocence, Jen says, I'm fighting this. I am innocent and I will fight for every person out there that can't fight for themselves because they don't have the resources or the means so they don't fight. I will fight because number one, I'm innocent. Number two, I'm going to effing represent every other person out there that can't fight and hasn't been able to. And on this point, I wanted to bring up the question that we've received the most since the trial has been pushed and whatnot is whether or not she will accept a plea deal. Do you want to talk about that? I don't see any evidence that they have any interest in offering her one. She's, I mean, we, in our last episode, we went through 
the sentencing procedures and the stuff that goes into that and how each one of those defendants that we talked about had to admit their participation. And we just read part of Stu's pleasing. He has to admit like so she would have to totally change tactic. And then it's like unless she could offer something to the government that they don't already have, then what incentive do they have to, you know, what like what does she have to give them? Right. Right. Like this just this statement proved to me that, I mean, to take a plea deal, you have to plead guilty. Yeah. And she's just maintained that she's innocent this whole time, even at the reunion. So I don't see her switching for any reason. And then, like you said, I don't think the government is offering her one. But who knows? After our last episode, I I feel sorry for a lot of I mean, a lot of them did. I don't feel that sorry for them. I mean, but some of them I do. And it's also because sometimes it's at that, the lower level, it's much easier to understand how you need a job. You're in a bad situation. People are telling you you can make good money doing something. And then they're telling you it's not illegal. It seems to be the it's like she didn't just hurt the victims by if she did do this, the people at the top were also setting up this big scheme that exposed all of these people to the opportunity to participate in this criminal scheme and then get themselves in jail and owe millions in restitution. You know, it's like not 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 good. Yeah. And she, like we mentioned, she will be the only one from this case fighting the charges. But in the Katabshi case, where it went to trial, those defendants that pushed on and fought their innocence were found guilty. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's difficult because I, I do think it's, you know, it is an expensive process. And I think sometimes, you know, people are afraid to fight it. So I think it, like Jen is within her rights to fight it if she wants. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me, this is a, a, a sort of a tangent, but the Lisa Rinna copyright case that we talked about where the PAP were suing her. Mm, yeah. There has been a ton of other lawsuits like that with celebrities, and it's really common. If you like repost a PAP photo of yourself on Instagram, you don't own the rights to that photo. It's the, the, the paparazzi that owns it. So there have been a lot of lawsuits, like the one against Lisa Rinna, there was also one against Khloe Kardashian, and she's been one of the only people that actually f- fought back. And I think that one might still be going or another one might still be going. But a lot of people end up settling because it's so expensive. And it's like, what's the point? Just take your money, like whatever. Yeah. So we haven't seen in those types of cases what the outcome can be and like what the actual law is on it, where it should fall. So I think like this is similar to that. It's kind of in parallel, not to compare Jen to a Kardashian, but just to compare the types of, you know, kind of the, if I'm going to fight it, I'm going to be the one to fight it. I just think that's an interesting parallel. So. I mean, again, she's, she's, I think it's, I think this time it's more along the lines of her. She's either the victim or she's the struggling hero. And so those are the two ways she sees herself. And so this is a way for her, either she's the victim because they're saying mean things about her. She's being accused of this and she didn't understand, or she is the, you know, struggling underdog conquering hero and she is doing this. And so it's it's like very I'm not saying she's a narcissist, but I'm saying that's a very narcissistic way to view yourself one way or the other. It's like you're always that's why she that way she can always look at herself in a light that appears to be good to her. Yeah. Maybe it's like a, a mechanism. So, yeah, that was everything said about Jen Shaw's case at the reunion. What did you think of the reunion overall? Strong reunion, good reunion. And what about compared to Beverly Hills? I I mean, I thought I feel like Andy has been doing a really good job of 
asking questions and like asking more lawyer type questions. I think he's, I, I was, I was really impressed with several of his questioning again. Like I said before, I was really impressed with Meredith. I thought I was good. I was really impressed with Meredith. I actually thought their, their outfits looked better sitting down than <laughs> in those pictures, which it, as you pointed out, it was unfair because they took them after they'd been sitting, like the standing pictures that we were also horrified about. They took them after they'd been sitting down and tired all day. Lisa Barlow it, continues to be a top rate housewife that is just, I, I almost like, I almost want to coach her like on, because she doesn't, like in, in, in order to maintain credibility, you have to accept accountability and be like, you know what, you're right. I should have done that or that. She seems like she's afraid to ever admit that she actually did anything wrong or she isn't perfect. When she came up to Meredith and was like, well, you know, I was just mad at you because I heard that you said that my house was ugly. I was just like, stop, stop. <laughs> That's not, you're not helping. You're not helping. Mm -mm. And you can tell she's not active listening. Like you can see Meredith doing active listening, which you have to do as an attorney. You have to, you know, you can't just sit there and formulate what you want to say. You have to really be listening to what someone is saying to you. And you can tell she's just not really listening or processing she's just constantly thinking about how to defend herself the jen and dewey or dewey or whatever i'm just glad they're not going to be on our tvs anymore i agree i really like you said at the outset of this episode thought it was like th that coach not that he's standing by her i wouldn't expect him not to but is so i guess champion of her and she is innocent until proven guilty but it's just not at all what I thought was going to happen. I was no. like, they are going to get divorced. Like, yeah. But I mean, did you think he I mean, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I felt like he came off as way more calculating. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's like a persona going on. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know either. I, I had felt like he had come off as very authentic. And then in the in season one and just struggling with having a a wife that was really volatile because we saw so much volatility. And it's like, I, f I think she was acting out so much that we felt bad for him, mm -hmm. you know? And then I, I have friends who whose husbands are college football coaches and that is such a stressful job, so stressful. And you, they are gone constantly. And so I, I, but then seeing his performance at the reunion, it was so calculated. Also like the people saying, oh, that's a very good question. It's like, that's when you can tell somebody has had media coaching because you're coached to not respond negatively to a difficult or unpleasant question. And so that you look open and honest and like Dewey saying that, and I forget who else was doing it, but saying like, you know, that's a really good question. And then responding with what they wanted to say. I was like, they've had media coaching. Just... Oh, well, I probably would if I was on. No, I would too. Show. All, good, all power to them, like more power to them. Do it. I, I, Everyone I, should. <laughs> I agree. I just like, that's something I know. I, I yeah. recognize that. And it's like, it that's, like a flag. Mm -hmm. that's like a, when somebody, that's a really good question because it gives you a chance to think and respond and that you don't look aggressive. I mean, that's something you can use in your everyday life if you want to do that. <laughs> but like, I was just flagged as like, Dewey's had media coaching and I do not like him. I haven't liked him from the beginning. And so I was just irritated with his. And then also when he was like, Oh, yeah. When Annie was asking him about the, um, don't, you know, having more children and had it been, you know, life threatening for his wife. And he was like, well, you know, as a business owner, you want results. As like, that's how, 
It's like, first of all, I can tell you've had media coaching. And then even with that coaching, that's how you're responding to that. Yeah, uh-uh. I didn't like that. I did yeah. not like that. It's like, get off my TV. Get off my TV. I thought it was interesting, switching gears, that Andy said that to Jen that he didn't give Erica the questions in advance for the reunion. I don't know if I buy that. I think he had to give them some heads up or discuss with their attorneys or something. I just don't see their counsel being okay with them going on the reunion without having some idea. I guess maybe they could guess what the questions were going to be and like told them how to answer. But I don't know. I really thought that at least I don't Erica think counsel is controlling them. Erica. No, I know you're right. But I thought her answers seemed like she knew what the questions were ahead of time. I mean, it's not too hard to guess if you're Jen Shaw. Yeah. But the questions, I mean, Erica gave so many conflicting stories that I think it would be it would have been much harder. It was probably harder for her. You know, that the thing that I kept thinking is, you know, Heather's dad was an FBI agent. And I was always wondering why nobody was thinking that Heather was like the mole or being used. And again, the feds didn't need anybody, but a more likely candidate would have been Heather. She's the one that's getting close to Jen Shaw. She's the one that's immediately being her friend and trying to get, you know, talk to her and get information from her. It's like her dad was an FBI agent. She probably knows, you know what I mean? Like that's, as like, mm. why, why was everybody thinking it was Meredith? Meredith just doesn't like Jen Shaw. That's a good point. You know? But yeah, I don't think it wasn't anyone. <laughs> They didn't need it. They didn't need help from anybody. But I'm just like, but maybe if they want more information post-trial, it's like, uh, like, it's not, <laughs> Heather would be a more likely candidate. That's I'm not saying she did that. I'm just yeah. saying, you know. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else to say about the reunion. I think it wasn't as in-depth to me as far as the legal stuff as Beverly Hills and Erica, but it is what it is. And I mean, you know, Jen's we'll, smarter. She didn't tell conflicting stories. She kept, you know, her story was consistent the whole time that she didn't know what this was. Yeah. She was surprised about it. Like, there wasn't anything to get from her. Erica told a, a bunch of nonsense stories and lies that were obviously just conflicting with what she had said or the way she behaved before. So it's just apples and oranges. Right, right. Okay, so I think we should end this episode here. This was the legal analysis of the reunion. Thank you, as always, for listening. Yeah, and check out our, uh, again, if you want to vote on what our next episode is going to be, check out our Patreon. Our merch is super cute. We upgraded some of the uh, products. So the shirts like to be thicker, nicer cotton. Our mugs are really cute. And yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye, guys. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.